Welcome to the Join My League Football Podcast with your host, Tim Coletta. Hey, welcome. Welcome to another edition of the Join My League Football Podcast. I am Tim. I am your host. And I have a lot to talk about following one of the more dramatic weeks of NFL action I've seen in a long time. And I'm going to start with something that even I have had a hard time understanding. I'm having a real hard time picking sides. I don't know where my opinion lies on the matter just yet. I'm going to start by discussing someone I now consider a hero of some sort. A legend. An idol. Someone we can all look up to in a way. The greatest of all time. The GOAT, if you will. And I'm not talking about Tom Brady or Joe Montana. I'm talking about Vontae Davis. What an animal that guy is. As much as I'd like to rip him for what he did to his teammates, his fans, coaches, and the Buffalo Bills organization on Sunday, I'm having a hard time not being jealous of what we saw. If you aren't aware of what Davis did on Sunday, Davis's team, the Buffalo Bills, they were down going into halftime by a score of 28-6 to to the LA Chargers. The Bills team came out to play in the second half with a comeback on their mind. However, Vontae Davis did not, apparently. According to Bills head coach Sean McDermott, Vontae walked into the locker room at halftime and pulled himself out of the game. Not only that, but dressed himself in street clothes, said, I'm done, and walked out of the stadium at halftime. Bills linebacker Lorenzo Alexander was the one who told reporters after the game that Davis had retired mid-game. So Davis ghosted on his teammates. No one knew anything. And as disgusting and disrespectful as that is, I can't help but envy that. The guy's played 10 years in the NFL and he's so well off that he decided he can just retire halfway through a workday and be done with it. Just decide he's going home. How awesome is that, you know? He cited on social media that he wanted him and his family to walk away from the game healthy. No one can blame him for that, right? But you couldn't pick a better time to do it. You can't make this stuff up. And speaking of making stuff up, couldn't he have faked an injury? Went on, you know, sat on the bench for 30 minutes and retired after the game? Apparently not, because dude ghosted. And that's the stuff legends are made of. That's how people are going to remember that guy. The guy who walked out on his team at halftime and retired. And he doesn't care. That's the best part. I'm rich. I have my health. I have my family. To hell with all you. I couldn't stop laughing when I heard that news. I thought maybe, just maybe, he'd have a change of heart, report to the team Monday or Tuesday, take a little fine, maybe a one-game suspension or whatever, and move on. Doesn't sound like that's going to happen. And he's totally okay with it. Made even more hilarious by the fact that it's the Bills, arguably the worst team in the league, that will definitely be fighting for a top five, if not the top overall draft pick uh, in the draft in April. So he went to work on Sunday, already feeling lousy about his team's chances. He stepped on the field, got scorched for 28 points, and he just had it. But I envy that. I envy that he's able to just be like, nope, and walk away. If he handled it differently, it wouldn't be such a story. Like I said, had he have faked the injury, it would have eventually came out, but that's not nearly as disrespectful as, you know, being like, bye. But if he did do it the slightly more respectful way, it wouldn't have been legendary. The amount of nerve, the amount of nerve it takes to just ghost on your team like that. Wow. As you can tell, I'm having a tough time knowing how to feel about it. I'm torn. You know, on one hand, it's like, what a badass. On the other hand, it's like, you spoiled rich, entitled sack of shit. 
How can you do something like that? And all I know is if he does decide to come back, and again, not likely, but if he does, I doubt any NFL team would be willing to sign him after the stunt he pulled on Sundays. Anyway, I just wanted to acknowledge that uh, real quick, as it was one of the bigger stories of the NFL weekend. Now I want to get into the real greatest of all time. I never thought I'd see the day where Tom Brady was outplayed by Blake Bortles by such a large margin. Brady threw for 277 yards on Sunday with two touchdowns. Well, Bortles threw for an astounding 377 yards and four touchdowns. Granted, the Jags were at home, and they do have a much better defense than the uh, Patriots, but I was stunned by how well Bortles played after not having Jacksonville's best offensive player suited up behind him in the backfield. I missed the entire first half, so when I did turn the game on, just as the third quarter was beginning, I wasn't really surprised to see the Jaguars with the halftime lead. They gave the Pats all they can handle last January, and I expected a tight, close battle that could have gone either way. But I gave the edge to Brady because Bortles is trash. But I was surprised at halftime score. 21-3. to Game's not over, though. That's what I said to my lady who was watching beside me. It's Tom Brady, I said. What followed was Bortles going off for 200 yards and another touchdown uh, compared to Brady's pedestrian 107 yards with no touchdowns in the second half. The 31-20 win by the Jaguars on Sunday, uh, it doesn't make up for the heartbreaking AFC Championship loss to New England last year, but Jacksonville did send a message on Sunday that, you know what, they're not a one-and-done team like so many people have claimed them to be heading into this season. A 3-0 start for the Northeastern Florida team could be on the horizon because they're going to host the Tennessee Titans on Sunday. Meanwhile, the Patriots look to get back on track Sunday night, and they probably will as they head to uh, play a Detroit Lions team that just can't do anything right. Time for the JF Stacks Waiver Wire Pickup of the Week presented by yours truly with an assist from the man, the myth, the legend, John Foyles, a.k.a. JF Stacks, a.k.a. Stacks, or simply John Foyles. Now remember, the pickup of the week is released every Tuesday on Join My League's official Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram accounts, so check weekly and don't forget to put a claim in. This week's choice wasn't very easy to make as there were so many great choices to choose from. Guys like Ryan Fitzpatrick, who's still available in a number of leagues, to guys like Austin Eckler, Giovanni Bernard, uh, Deshaun Jackson, John Brown, all them guys are uh, very deserving candidates and all of those guys are available in at least 30% of leagues, but there can be only one. And this week, JF Stacks, waiver wire, pickup of the week goes to Keelan Cole, wide receiver from the Jacksonville Jaguars. The number one wide receiver from Jacksonville, might I add, according to the Jaguars website and unofficial death chart. Cole has put up 10 catches for 170 yards and a touchdown through two weeks, but it was his seven catch 116 yard and one touchdown performance against the Patriots this past Sunday that made it seem at the very least he's in for a lot more targets, especially if Leonard Fournette continues to miss, uh, miss time with a pulled hamstring. And after that Odell Beckham-like catch on Sunday, I say he's deserved it. The guy is still available in over 40% of ESPN Fantasy Football League. So if he's available in your league, go get him now. And while you're at it, go like Join My League on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and find out who the JF Stacks Waiver Wire Pickup of the Week is each and every Tuesday. Man, what a, what a week it was for NFL kickers and not in a good way, no. With the exception, of course... 
Denver Broncos' Brandon McManus, it was a disastrous week for NFL kickers. They went on to kick a combined 39 of 51 on field goals and 62 of 69 on extra points. Not terrible stats, but it was the amount of important kicks that were missed and the impact that those missed kicks had on a number of games this past weekend. I'm going to start with Chris Boswell of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Guy missed a field goal and an extra point. Four points left on the board. Though the Steelers lost by five, the four points that Boswell left on the table proved to be pivotal. When the Steelers scored their final touchdown of the game, made the score 42-36 to Chiefs lead. Boswell had already missed the field goal and extra point by then, but if he had made those four points count, the score would have been 42-40 to with a chance for a two-point conversion to tie the game instead of kicking a meaningless extra point. Knowing all that, and on top of missing a game winner last week that would have given the Steelers a victory over the Browns, the Steelers now sit at 0-1-1 on the year, and you might have to add kicking to the amount of problems the Steelers organization is currently facing. And speaking of the Cleveland Browns, their kicker was hoping to rebound after having uh, his game-winner blocked last week against the Steelers. But rebound he did not against the New Orleans Saints because Zane Gonzalez went 2-for-4 on Sunday on field goals. Poor guy missed both of his extra point attempts, which is very browns light if I do say so myself. But I feel bad for the kid. The Browns lost by three points. This is a team looking for its first win in 21 games. It's like I think I saw something that said it was 635 days. I think Adam Schefter put that up on Twitter. 635 games they won Christmas Eve like two years ago was the last time they won a game. That team had, um, I think RG3 was on it, Gary Barnage, Corey Coleman, Joe Hayden. All those guys were on the Browns the last time the Browns won a game. They were this close to beating a Super Bowl contender. People call them Saints Super Bowl contender this year. Browns were this close to beating them. It wasn't for the kicker, Zane Gonzalez. He's the reason the Browns aren't 2-0 right now. And Mason Crosby and Daniel Carson are both the reason the Vikings and Packers now have to add a tie to their record. I'm going to give Crosby a slight pass here because he made five field goals on the day, but he missed the one that counted. A 52-yard field goal as time expired would have given the Packers a win over the hated Vikings. Instead, wide left. And in overtime, Vikings kicker Daniel Carlson missed two field goals. One of them was as time expired in overtime. Carlson went 3-for-3 on extra points this week, but 0-for-3 on field goals. The Vikings drafted Daniel Carlson in the fifth round of April's draft and have released him already. In the meantime, they signed uh, the second most accurate kicker in NFL history, former Dallas Cowboy Dan Bailey. It's an obvious attempt to break that Vikings kicker curse, wouldn't you say? And while we're on the subject of Packers-Vikings, what a game that was, huh? Packers, they had so many chances to win that game, and the Vikings had two chances to win in overtime. Nobody can get the job done. Neither of them wanted to win, it seemed like, and we wound up with a tie to an otherwise outstanding game. Now, over the last few days, I've hear, I'm hearing a lot of people say that the NFL has a tie problem. Can't make anyone happy, you know? Remember the old overtime rule? 15-minute single overtime. Coin flip, the winner of the coin flip would choose to receive, and the first one to score wins the game no matter what. But everyone complained about that. Said both teams should get a chance to score in overtime, and overtime shouldn't be decided essentially by a coin flip. So the NFL changed it. Unless the first team who got the ball scored a touchdown, 
each team would get a chance to score. So what does that mean? More ties. It means more ties because math. But I think everyone was okay with that change. Then the NFL decided to change it again. How'd they change it? Same rules, but they decided on a 10-minute quarter instead of 15 to shorten the game and, quote, protect players. So we're going to see more ties, and I'm okay with that because I think it makes it more interesting in regards to playoff seeding when that time comes, especially for division games, which is where two tie, the two ties we've seen come from this year, divisional battles. A team with a 10-5-1 record has a better record than a 10-6 team, but not better than an 11-5 team. Well, if ties didn't exist, that 10-5-1 team would either be 10-6 or 11-5. And then you have to go deeper into the tie-breaking scenario situation, which is always a pain to do. Have you ever looked at the NFL's list of tie-breaking procedures? There's like 45 different methods of breaking ties. That's insane. And if somehow they go all the way down that list, the very last option is a coin flip. So you're going to go through 45 different scenarios of tie-breaking procedures. And if there's no clear-cut winner or tie-breaker, you're going to do a coin flip anyway. Put the ties in there. It's not that big of a deal. You know, I know the old adage, ties are like kissing your sister. I get it. The tie between the Vikings and Packers on Sunday just left things unsettled after such an amazing game. But it'll, it'll clear up so much in the long run come playoff time. If these two teams were to finish on top the North at 11-5 and five and say the Packers were declared division winners, everyone would wonder why. Well, when Vikings fans look and see a potential tie-breaking scenario such as wins against like opponents is a real thing. They're going to be furious. When these teams face off in Minnesota later this year, the winner of that game will hold the tiebreaker over the other, and it'll just make it a lot easier in terms of seeding or playoff division, or I'm sorry, division winners. So I don't have a problem with a little bit more ties. As long as it doesn't turn into how the old NHL was, where a team used to have more ties than wins or losses. If it doesn't turn into that, I'm okay with it. And thankfully, the NHL cleared that up. But I'm fine with NFL ties. Two ties in two weeks, okay, it's a little concerning because we do like to see winners. But a tie every now and again isn't such a problem. Now, one more thing I want to touch on that game uh, before we move on. A few weeks ago, I complained that the new tackle rule was bound to become a big problem. And I was asked why I didn't consider, you know, the helmet rule, the new helmet rule, to be such a problem. But to me, the helmet rule, through two weeks, it hasn't made much of an impact. It hasn't been much of an issue. You know, maybe it'll come up a little more in the future, but the new tackle rule, that's becoming a big issue, as I predicted. And it was evident in Green Bay on Sunday. Where did this rule come from? Well, let's rewind. The Vikings traveled to Green Bay last season, and during that game... Linebacker Anthony Barr drilled Aaron Rodgers on a perfectly legal hit, breaking his collarbone in the process. So the NFL implemented a rule starting this year, you're no longer allowed to drive a quarterback into the ground using your full body weight, which goes against logic, but okay, fine. Not going to get it, not going to get into that again. A new rule, players got to adjust. Well, it came back to bite the Packers this year when Cousins released the ball just as Packers linebacker Clay Matthews popped Cousins and the ball sailed into a Green Bay safety's hands late in the game. That interception would have sealed the win for the Packers, except flag on the play, roughing the quarterback on Clay Matthews on a perfectly legal tackle. We've seen the same tackle a million times, but new rule. So let me clear this up. Legal hit, 
right call according to the rule book, but it's a bad rule. So the flag on a good call, but a perfectly clean hit, the flag negated the Packers' interceptions. The Vikings ended up tying that game shortly after. What a turn of events. You know, being down 20-7 to at one point in the game, the Vikings fought back and turned that loss into a tie. This is a win for the Vikings because while they won't admit to it, a tie is better than a loss, especially on the road and especially against a division rival. And they'll play the Packers again next time they're going to play the Packers at home where the Vikings are going to have the upper hand. And should they win that game, like I said, the tie helps them out in tie-breaking scenarios against the Packers when Week 16-17 rolls around. I know it's only Week 3 and it's too early to start speculating, but we're fans, that's what we do. And I'm going to keep the speculation going. And I'm going to talk about MVP candidates. MVP candidates up until this point, and there's really only two, Ryan Fitzpatrick and Patrick Mahomes. I wish I had a Patrick joke right now. You know, if you told me three weeks ago that through two weeks, the top two quarterbacks in the league statistically would be Patrick Mahomes and Ryan Fitzpatrick, I would have laughed in your face. But no one told me that because no one could have predicted this kind of start for these two. For Fitzpatrick and the Buccaneers to start 2-0 with wins against two of the top NFC teams from last year, including the Super Bowl champion Eagles, is simply mind-blowing. And, and, and they haven't just beaten two quality teams. Ryan Fitzpatrick has shredded them. The man who walked into Sunday's post-game presser looking like Conor McGregor's older brother absolutely shredded them while throwing for a combined 819 yards, eight touchdowns, and one interception in two games. He was only supposed to fill in, be capable, fill in for that creep Jamie's Winston temporarily while we waited for uh, Winston to serve his three-game suspension. But with Ryan Fitzpatrick looking like an all-pro so far, did the Bucks hurry up and rush Winston back as soon as he's available to be the starting quarterback? I th- they'd be stupid to do that. And I'm, I know we've seen, uh, we've seen this kind of play before from Ryan Fitzpatrick, but never like this. He has taken over starter for other teams. He's put up some good numbers, and he came crashing back down to earth. That's why he's been a journeyman in this league for so long. So I do expect him to come crashing back down to earth at some point this season, and when he does, then put creepy Winston back out there. Realistically, how much better can Winston play than Fitzpatrick has? The Bucks going 2-0 is shocking to everybody, including the people at Tampa Bay. They're not supposed to be a top NFC team, much less destroy two proven talented teams, including, like I said, a Super Bowl winner. As for Mahomes, his start, slightly less shocking, but just as impressive. You know, he was considered a potential breakout player of the year. But even the most optimistic of Chiefs fans could not predict this kind of start. He was taken 10th overall by the Chiefs in last year's draft, sat the entire year, and now has been given uh, his fair chance to start. He's taking full advantage with 582 passing yards, a whopping 10 touchdowns, and zero interceptions. And just like Fitzpatrick and the Bucks, both wins for Mahomes and the Chiefs came against quality Super Bowl contending AFC opponents, who we assume, like I said, they'd be fighting for a playoff spot come December, but also a Super Bowl appearance. Chargers and the Steelers were no joke coming into this year. The Steelers look like a joke now, but they weren't three weeks ago. Four touchdowns in the opener against the Chargers, and again, six touchdowns against the Steelers in Week 2. 
Maybe Fitzpatrick will start to suck again, and at some point, maybe Mahomes will look like a first-time starter. But who knows? Appreciate what it is you're seeing between these two because you're seeing lights-out quarterback play from two guys not named Aaron Rodgers or Drew Brees. So that begs the question, who do you think has had the better or more impressive start to the season? Ryan Fitzpatrick or Patrick Mahomes? Let me know by dropping a line on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Subscribe on YouTube. Give this podcast a big old thumbs up. Time for some quick hits and what the haps is around the league. Heading into week three, the biggest news of the week is from the trade of Josh Gordon from the Browns to the Patriots. The Browns will receive a conditional fifth round pick for Gordon, who is one of the most talented athletes in the league, but over the years has been battling substance abuse issues. The move is considered a low risk, high reward for a Patriots team that could desperately use a number one wide receiver. And if Josh Gordon can get his act together, he could very well be the best wide receiver that uh, Tom Brady has had at his disposal 10 years ago when when Randy Moss was, uh, he was throwing footballs to Randy Moss. Carson Wentz has been named the Philadelphia Eagles starting quarterback for this Sunday's home tilt against the Colts. Nick Foles has not looked like his Super Bowl MVP self yet this season, so it looks to be the perfect time to get Wentz back out there after suffering an ACL tear last December. Head coach Doug Peterson, before the season started, he said, we're not going to rush Carson Wentz back, we're going to roll with Nick Foles. Well, if you're not going to rush him back, it's only, we're only two weeks into the season, and Nick Foles hasn't, like I said, he hasn't looked like himself. So I don't think they're rushing Carson Wentz back. I just don't think that they're getting the results that they hoped for from Nick Foles to start the season. And since Wentz is healthy, let's put him back out there. Maybe the Eagles can get back on track. Leonard Fournette has returned to practice. He returned to practice Wednesday after missing Sunday's game against the Patriots with an injured hamstring. We'll have to see how practice goes for Fournette before making any assumptions, but just returning to practice is a reason for optimism for Jaguars fans and fantasy teams who selected uh, Fournette in the first round of their drafts. Finally, Maroon 5 will headline the Super Bowl 53 halftime show in Atlanta on February 3rd, 2019. I honestly don't know anything about Maroon 5 except they sing uh, Moves Like Mick Jagger song. That's the only song I know by them. It seems to be a popular, popular choice so far. No other artist has been announced. Shh. You hear that? That sound? That is me after last week. Crickets. I said week two was the hardest week to predict, but I was surely going to improve my record from last week, and what happened? I have no one to blame for this but myself, the Indianapolis Colts, the Houston Texans, the New England Patriots, and the New York Giants. Luckily, the Chicago Bears saved me from a winless week. I went 1-4. 1-4, and four. One and four, I'm ashamed. But you know what? I could look at it one of one of two ways. The first way being that I'm not picking gimme games here. These games are not easy to predict. I could go the easy route. I could have taken the Rams, the Chargers, and the Broncos, kept my Sunday and Monday nighter games the same, and went 4-1. and one. I try to pick three interesting, challenging, tough games of the week along with the Sunday and Monday nighters. So maybe I should look at my 4-6 and six record through two weeks and say it's not too bad, all things considered. Take it with a grain of salt, yada yada. Or I could look at it the second way and just admit that I suck. You know, more than once, I've called Blake Bortles trash. 
but he threw for almost 400 yards this week to go along with four touchdowns without Leonard Fournette. Maybe Bortles isn't trash. Maybe he's okay. Maybe I'm trash. 100% grade A trash at that. Maybe I suck and I should just quit trying. Luckily, unlike Vontae Davis, I'm not a quitter. And luckily, I'm not an avid gambler either. I don't gamble much, but I do find it fascinating. I don't have money to be throwing around hundreds or thousands or even tens away in a game. I can't take that risk. I look at gambling unlike most people. I look at it like a lottery ticket. Eh, let's get one and see what happens, you know? Betting on football is a lot like a little uh, the lottery with slightly less luck involved. See, I'm a parlay guy. I take three, five, six games I feel pretty good about, parlay them together, lay a $5 bill out, hopefully I get it right, and maybe my payout's like 300 bucks. It's not life-changing money, but just something to make games more interesting. Dropping a ton of money on something comparable to a lottery ticket is stupid, and it's a good way to get your heat shut off in the winter. Don't be that degenerate. degenerate. Just have fun. That's what this is all about. And with that said, no luck for me this week. But all is not lost, because luckily for you, the listener, all you have to do is pick against who I pick, and you're going to be in good shape. Until I get my record straight, which I will. I promise you that. And i got to start somewhere this week. And we're going to start in Carolina, where the Panthers host the Bengals at 1 o'clock on Sunday. The Bengals are coming off an extended break after a victory, a victory over the Ravens last Thursday, and the Panthers are coming off a loss in Atlanta this past Sunday. Panthers are giving the automatic three-point home field swing to the visiting Bengals, but that's it, man. Line is minus three for the Panthers on both five dimes and bet online. So we're looking at a pretty even matchup according to Vegas. Last week, the Bengals looked great against a Ravens team who beat the brakes off Buffalo in week one, 47-3. The Bengals surprisingly have put up 34 points in each of their wins this season, but we've seen this movie with them before. One step forward, two steps back kind of thing. Andy Dalton throwing multiple interceptions, the defense making god-awful mistakes, and Marvin Lewis ending up with a lifetime coaching contract. So, according to history, this looks like a real letdown game for Cincy, who, not to mention, will be without running back Joe Mixon for up to a month. And taking a look at Carolina's offense, it's the Cam Newton show down there. He's responsible for the team's most passing and rushing yards through two weeks. They're extremely one-dimensional, and I have to say, I've been kind of impressed with the Bengals' defense enough this year to give the edge to them in that category. And with the damage A.J. Green did, three first-half touchdowns last week, I don't feel as if the Panthers have enough talent in the secondary to run with them. But the fact is, the Panthers are still playing at home, and it is the Bengals who always seem to crush our confidence the moment they gain it. This game is a complete toss-up that I can see going either way, and I'm going to roll with the Bengals for one more week, which means you should roll with Carolina. Bengals taking the three and coming out with a W, final answer. Staying in the AFC South, some 250 miles west of the Bengals-Panthers game, is Atlanta, where we'll see the Falcons host the hated division rival, New Orleans Saints. The Saints are catching three points on both five dimes and bet online, and Vegas is begging for Falcons' money here. The Saints have not looked good to start the year, let's be honest. After being a popular pick, including mine, to reach the Super Bowl, they've had some tough games to start the year. First, the defense gives up 40-some-odd points to the Buccaneers, and last week, they barely squeaked past the Browns at home in a game they should have lost. 
The Falcons, however, they should have won in week one, and they got the win last week over Carolina. Tampa Bay looks unbeatable, and all of a sudden, New Orleans is the forgotten team in the NFC South. You've all heard the term trap games, correct? Well, this is the trap game of the week. We finally saw the Falcons have some red zone success last week, but can they do it two weeks in a row? That's something I need to see to believe. Falcons defense, they've looked pretty good the first two weeks of the season, playing an Eagles offense that looked nothing like their Super Bowl winning team from eight months ago, and a Panthers offense who, as we discussed, is as one-dimensional as they come. But now we got a real test, because the Falcons are going to host some real talent coming in as Drew Brees and the New Orleans Saints are going to come to town. Vegas can manipulate you. You know the trick? Spot their BS lines, not fall into it. This is one of those games I'm going to go with the New Orleans and the three points, and they'll upset the Falcons on the road 34-28, to and that means you should take the Falcons naturally. Up next, the fight for L.A., the inner-city rivalry between the Los Angeles Rams and the Los Angeles Chargers. This new rivalry finally heats up as the new L.A. teams face off for the first time since they both relocated there two years ago. The spread is currently uh, it's currently sitting at 7.5 on both 5 Dimes and Bet Online. The Chargers looked a lot better against the Bills last week after dropping their Week 1 contest to the Kansas City Chiefs. On the other side of the field, you have the Rams, who look like the most well-rounded team in the league. The total package, if you will. But that may be more attributed to the opponents they have faced so far. The Raiders and the Cardinals, they don't offer the biggest tests for teams this season. However, as a powerhouse of the NFL, those are the kinds of wins you need to have against subpar competition. It's what we expect from a legit Super Bowl contender. I think if the Rams allowed either the Cardinals or Raiders to keep the game close, we wouldn't think uh, as highly of the Rams as we do right now. They took care of business and did what they're capable of, and that's obliterating crappy teams. As I said, the Chargers looked excellent last week, but that was against Buffalo. I can guarantee you Melvin uh, Melvin Gordon cannot expect, and he will not run for another three touchdowns against this Rams defense. The majority of Los Angeles seems to be backing the Rams over the Chargers in a popularity contest. Well, I'm going to side with the city on the outcome of this game. The Chargers do have an explosive offense, so for them to be able to keep it close, they're going to have to come out the gate swinging avoid a slug, uh, and avoid a sluggish start, as they have a tendency to do relatively often. So give me the Rams straight up, but it wouldn't shock me to see the Chargers cover the seven points they're getting. Don't go against me on this one as I'm pretty sure uh, and pretty confident the Rams emerge victorious. Another game you're not going to want to go against me on, and I'm pretty sure you won't need me to tell you that, is the Sunday Nighter where we're going to see the Patriots travel to Detroit, collect their bearings from last week's loss, and destroy the Lions. I'm not spending more than a minute on this one as the entire country should be on the same page, taking the Patriots and the seven points they're getting, uh, giving to the Lions on five dimes, the six and a half they're giving to them on bet online. How often do the Patriots lose two in a row? Well, since 2001, the Patriots are 41-11 and 11 coming off of a loss. I didn't dig deep enough to look at the quality of opponents they faced coming off of a loss, but do I really need to? You know, you expect this mess of a Detroit Lions team to feed Brady and Belichick a second consecutive loss? I rest my case. Play it safe. Take the pets on the road. 
Now, Monday Night Football overall has been struggling in the entertainment aspects ever since moving to ESPN some time ago. You know, they don't put the most quality games on Monday night, and I guess it's a cable thing. You know, it's, it is nationally televised, but you need the cable package to have ESPN. Therefore, you need a cable to watch, you know, Monday Night Football. So we don't usually get the more, more entertaining games on Monday night. And while making the schedule for this year, I'm sure the NFL didn't bet on this Monday night tilt between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Pittsburgh Steelers being one of the most interesting games of the week. Pittsburgh is uh, thought of, or was thought of, as a legitimate Super Bowl contender heading into this season. But with all the drama surrounding Le'Veon Bell's absence, the recent drama involving wideout Antonio Brown, which Brown has since downplayed, and the fact that their defense has more holes than a Madden tournament. Those Super Bowl aspirations look a bit silly now, don't they? You know, one has to wonder whether Mike Tomlin has finally lost control of a very, a usually very good and well-disciplined Steelers team. Now they're going to travel to Tampa Bay and take on the Red Hot Buccaneers? You know, as we talked about earlier, no one expected much out of the Bucks this season. And while I do expect a drop-off from the Bucks at some point, I'm not so sure it's going to be against a Steelers team falling apart at the seam. The Bucks were actually a two-point underdog when the lines open. That line has now dropped to one and a half. So do yourself a favor and take Tampa Bay as the underdog while you still can. Take them to cover and win outright against the Steelers on Monday night. And that's going to do it for this week's episode of Join My League. Hit me up on the big social media three, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram with any questions, comments, reviews are welcome chit chat anything also head over to youtube listen and subscribe there for updates every single week when a new episode is released every friday so enjoy the games on sunday make some money and most importantly have a fantastic weekend